Welcome back to Season 4 of Career Compass, a podcast from SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, and the SHRM Foundation. Career Compass prepares the future leaders today for better workplaces tomorrow. As the voice of all things work, SHRM supports students and emerging professionals with advice, information, and resources for every step of your career. Designed for the student or emerging professional, Career Compass delivers timely, relevant, and critical conversations about work to help you succeed in your career journey. Thank you for joining us for this episode. My name is Vernon Williams, and I will be your co-host. And my name is Lydia Doby, and I will also be your co-host. During this episode, we will discuss the current labor force shortage, the background on how we ended up in this predicament, and how students and emerging professionals can take advantage of the existing job market. To help us tackle this important topic, we are going to talk with a true expert, University of Cincinnati professor and HR scholar, Tom Mobley. Also, just so you know, this episode is valid for Professional Development Credit, or PDCs, for the SHRM CP or SHRM SCP. We will provide the code later in the episode. And with that, let's get started. Before we introduce Professor Mobley, Lydia, I I wanted to get your perspective. You were in the job search, perhaps at the start of the Great Resignation. What was that like? Did you feel like there were so many opportunities for you to take advantage of? Give us a sense of what that was for you. So I found the job search quite difficult. I graduated in May of 2021, but I started my job search even earlier in the beginning of April. I was applying to jobs week after week. I wasn't hearing anything back. And this was rather surprising to me, considering I had good scores, good internships. I was very much a go-getter. But I think I applied to about 50 jobs before I heard back from SHRM and was eventually hired and started at the end of July. I felt like this was a very uncertain time for me, but looking back, it was very beneficial because it gave me a greater idea of what was out there and what kind of opportunities may come down the road. But it was definitely difficult. And some things that were important and some things that I was looking for in particular was staying local to D.C. or to New York City where I had friends and family and being able to grow in that job. I didn't want to take a job that I felt like wasn't in alignment with my career goals in the future. So I think that narrowed my search a lot. So yeah, I'm very grateful that I eventually ended up at SHRM, but it was a tough start for sure. I'm curious, Gladia, with March being National Internship Awareness Month, and you mentioned some of the internships that you had done in the past, how were you able to find those internships and what did you gain from those experiences? So most of the internships I found through LinkedIn, or I was already aware of the organization and I would just go on their website and try to find out if they had any spring or fall internships. There was a few that I was aware of in my city. So I interned with the New York City Council for a summer. That was a very beneficial experience because I was more intimately aware of the struggles that my city was going through. But in general, I think all of my internships prepared me because I was able to put into practice the things that I was learning in the classroom, but also have the new experience of a professional workplace. I think that prepared me greatly for what I might experience in my career. And what about you, Vernon? You have a terminal degree, job experience, and a diverse skill set. How do you process whether to pursue new opportunities or stay put? I feel like a lot of people are changing careers or finding new jobs. What are your thoughts? 
I appreciate the question. And I think it's very similar to part of what you were saying earlier about the things that were important to you, including location. So I feel like oftentimes today people are sort of chasing, you know, money, which I get, you know, gas prices are very expensive. But I think I, I remember reading a report that said once you hit $75,000, the motivation surrounding the financial benefits sort of starts to decrease. Uh, and so for me, it's all of those other things. It's the, the benefits in terms of health care, retirement, the work-life balance or integration, depending on, on how you feel about those two terms, uh, and all of the other things that are sort of intangibles to the job. Uh, and obviously the, the job has to be meaningful and, and work that I care about. But I think uh, for people who are switching jobs solely for the money, I really think that there could be some disappointment in that. So that's where we are today uh, and how we make sense of the great resignation, you know, the labor shortage and what that means for us as individuals. Now let's take a deeper dive into labor shortage and the workforce trends as we introduce today's special guest. Tom Mobley is an assistant professor at the University of Cincinnati teaching in their organizational leadership and human resource management program. As a human resource consultant and university professor, he has demonstrated his ability to transfer knowledge and provide others with the tools they need to succeed. In Mobley Human Resource Consulting, Tom has combined his corporate and teaching experience to create workshops and presentations that are both practical and effective. Tom's broad background includes work with Fortune 100 firms, government agencies, startups, and international companies. His expertise has been sought out and included in articles in USA Today, CNBC, MSNBC, and Dow Jones Market Watch. Tom earned his bachelor's degree from Miami University of Ohio and his master's of arts in employment relations from the University of Cincinnati. We are excited about today's conversation, and with that, Career Compass would like to warmly welcome Tom Motley. Uh, Vernon and uh, Lydia, thank you so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to talking to you today. I could have taken the entire recording session reading your bio, Tom. But I tried to pull out a few of the highlights, a couple of things that I did not mention, however. First, in addition to all of the other prestigious media outlets and presentations you have done, we're excited to be able to officially announce that you will be one of our guests for the Student and Emerging Professionals track at SHRM 2022, taking place in June uh, in New Orleans. The second thing, you started your HR journey as a student leader, and you've been drinking the SHRM Kool-Aid for a long, long time. Not too long, though. Tell us where your passion for the field of HR comes from and where all the energy for SHRM is about. Thanks for that. You're, you're, you're too kind about that, Vernon. So for me, maybe I was a little strange in that coming out of high school, I had identified personnel as the field that I wanted to study. I knew that I wanted to go into business somehow, somewhere, but personnel was the thing that interested me the most. And you know, today, if you ask a student or a young professional, you know, why did you, why do you want to go into HR? You know, a lot of times their rookie answer is, well, I, I like working with people. And the old grizzled HR vet head spins around like, why do you, you can't like working with people if you want to go into HR? But I'm going to say that you better like working with people if you go into HR. If you don't like working with people, you really should find something else to do. Second thing I would throw at you is this, you'd need to really enjoy solving people problems, but listen to what I'm saying. When I say people problems, I'm not saying people's problems and there's a difference. I may have a lot of problems in my life right now. I hope not. <laughs> Lydia can't solve them for me, right? So you know, she may be able to give me advice, but she might not be able to solve my problems. But in HR, one of the critical things that we are in existence to do 
is to help move the organization forward by solving all those intricate problems involving people, whether that's how do we find the right people for the job? What's the right compensation and benefit package? What's the right reward package? How do we motivate people? How do we solve problems on the shop floor? How do we improve training? All of those involve people. So you need to really like people if you work in HR, that it's okay. But solving problems around people is like, to me, is the exciting part of our profession. And now is the time more than ever before, where if you are breaking into the profession as a young adult, now's the time. It is a beautiful time. And we, we can talk a little bit more about that later on, but I'm just really excited about that. The second thing you asked me was, how did I get introduced to Sharp? Well, I, I wasn't introduced to Sharp at first. I was introduced to ASPA at first. So, you know, what SHRM used to call itself back in its beginning days. So the American Association of Personnel. Don't date yourself too much, Tom. I'll yeah. tell everybody your age. So um, <laughs> for me in my college journey, I knew HR is what I wanted to study or personnel back then. And the other part of it was at the time for me, you really didn't start getting into your business classes, your HR classes until your junior year. And so I knew that, that I needed to get involved starting off my junior year. And I had a professor, maybe now that we do this podcast, maybe somebody could answer one of my unfulfilled questions is I'm still trying to track her down after all these years. Yeah. Can we kind of lost touch and I can't find Dr. Sandra Jennings. She used to work at Miami of Ohio. She moved back to Oklahoma. So maybe someday somebody can help me find what what's happened to her, but she was so passionate about working with students. And that fall of 1984, the all Ohio HR conference was going down and there was a student rate. And so we, as students from Miami of Ohio, were able to go to that HR conference. And you know, I was so wide eyed and, and it, was, it was just amazing to be able to, to be in the room with people who were doing what I saw myself doing in, in the future and listening to presenters and going through the exhibit hall and seeing the people who support the HR profession and, and having the dinners and socializing with the HR professionals, it really kind of, you know, sucked me in. And so I got active in our student chapter. I became president my senior year. And then after I graduated, I just kind of continued the journey on with our local chapters. And here in Ohio, we've got two of the oldest SHRM chapters between Butler Warren Sherm and the Greater Cincinnati Human Resource Association. We got, I think, chapter three and five. The other thing as a student, I was able to attend. Back then, most of the meetings were dinner meetings. And so I would go to the dinner meetings and see the HR professionals and see the leaders of the chapter. And, and I, I kind of said to myself, you know, someday I'd be really cool if I could be the president of the Greater Cincinnati Human Resource Association. And eventually that happened for me and it just kind of continued the journey. And so from the very earliest side of my career back in 84, SHRM has been a big part of what I do and, uh, you know, the conferences and the, the friendships and the relationships that I've made in the HR profession. That's one of the things that makes my life fun is, is making those and developing those relationships. Congrats on all of the success, Tom. And, right. and just a quick follow-up question. When I went into higher education, somebody said, think of a college or a university as sort of like a small city and there's different roles, basically like you were part of a, a local community. Talk to us a little bit about, because we, we often say things about career pathways and the different aspects of HR that one can go into. Obviously you're a professor and you teach at the university. 
Talk to us a little bit about what the students and emerging professionals listening to this podcast need to do today and if they wanted to become an HR instructor tomorrow. The good news is you've got your traditional pathway. You go on for your master's and you go on for the PhD. If you enjoy research and, and looking at problems and studying them and, and, and coming up with trending solutions, then the PhD route is, is a very viable route to go. You just need to realize that that alma mater of yours may not be the place where you eventually end up. You will have to go to where the job is. So you may go to the Ohio State University, but you may wind up teaching at the University of Maine, right? So that's one pathway. The other pathway, you know, my journey was I had gotten my master's back in 1990. And shortly after getting my master's, I, I get a phone call from my university with that, where I did my undergraduate work, Miami of Ohio. And an old professor of mine called me up and said, Hey, now that you got your master's, would you be interested in teaching a course for us? And so I said, sure. And so I, that's kind of my pathway in was, it was teaching as an adjunct one course, a semester type of a deal. There are some people that make a living stringing together a bunch of adjunct jobs, that's a tough road. That's a really, really tough road because the pay's not that great for teaching one class. And so next thing you know, you're teaching six to try to get by and that becomes a lot of work for somebody. But if you are working full time in the field and enjoy the teaching, developing a relationship with uh, a college that has an HR program, letting them know that you're interested in speaking to classes, uh, that you're available to mentor students, that you're available to offer internships. The, the more you, as a professional, acquaint yourself, tie yourself into a university, the more likely they're going to think about you as somebody to come in and teach a class for them. And so that was my pathway. And, and then eventually one thing led to another and I started teaching more classes and was able to, you know, land a, a full-time teaching gig at first was at Miami of Ohio. And then now where I'm at right now at the University of Cincinnati. So there's two pathways. Awesome. That's very valuable information for our listeners. Thank you. So your work follows the book by Herman, Olivia, and Joya titled Impending Crisis, Too Many Jobs, Too Few People, which is from 2002. We are now in 2022 but experiencing what is described in the book. Can you take the audience back to the early 2000s, what the authors were seeing and why their predictions were delayed by over two decades? Yeah, so I, I found the book fascinating and it's interesting that the upcoming National SHRM Conference will be in New Orleans because that's where I heard the speakers <laughs> with this book was back in New Orleans, back in, for me, it was back in 2004 when I heard them speak, I think it was. So what was happening back in 2004 was, you know, we were looking at, you know, the baby boomers back then, the oldest one was around 56, I guess. And so what was interesting to me is what they were forecasting was they were looking at the baby boomers starting to retire around 2010, 2011. And going with the traditional retirement model of you hit 65 and that's obviously when you stop work. And so they saw that and they saw this pending labor shortage of about 10 million jobs. We would be short. We would have 10 million fewer people than, than we needed to fill the jobs. 
And so what happens? Well, we're going merrily along. And then in 2007, 2008, the wheels kind of fall off the wagon and we have the great recession. And when you look at what happened there, you know, we right before the great recession, you know, unemployment was around 4.9, 4.8%. And then during the great recession, the unemployment rate shoots up to just, just south of 10%. One of the things that happened to the people who were getting ready for retirement was the stock market crashes. And so the joke, bad joke, right? But the joke back then was your 401k became a 201k. And you, you look at what happened to the market and for some people, their, their retirement was cut almost in half. And so those baby boomers that were coming up on retirement, one, they couldn't afford to retire. But the other thing that we see happening is people at 65 still have a lot of gas in the tank, still have a lot to, to give, and they don't necessarily want to retire. And so we hit that 2010. And we have high unemployment. We have people still desiring to work. So that labor shortage gets pushed back because of the higher unemployment and the fact that the baby boomers weren't retiring yet. To me, that's kind of like the secret of why we didn't see it when they first forecasted it. But now what happens is we're going along and, and it's, it's always interesting to me how quickly we forget things. So for example, right before COVID took off, Unemployment in this country was at 3.5%. Then with COVID, it immediately shoots up within two months to 14.8, which was higher than at any point during the Great Recession. And then, you know, after April, we slowly see the unemployment rate coming down. And, you know, now we are south of 4%. And there's all kinds of things we could talk about in terms of what's happened to the people. And to me, that's kind of the fascinating part of all this is like, where have the people gone? Why is it so hard for organizations to recruit and then retain? Why are they seeing turnover so high? Because if you look back at some of the SHRM studies on employees and, you know, their interest in work and their desire to maintain, you know, for a long time, we've, we've heard people telling us, you know what, if I have an opportunity, I am out of here, but not a lot of people did it and now they're doing it. So I, I hopefully, hopefully that kind of paints the picture of where we're at and why this is just so fascinating to me. Yeah, for sure. I think something that you made me think about while you were speaking about this was the difference in the generations in the workforce. Mm -hmm. For example, my generation, Gen Z, albeit I am an older Gen Z, but I still consider myself a part of that generation. We have come to realize that we're not entering the same workforce that our parents, our grandparents, our older peers entered. We're now entering a workforce where it seems like social security is going to dry up. Most companies aren't paying pensions. And it seems like more frequently, we're finding that job hopping every two to five years is giving us better salaries and better benefits than staying consistent within one organization and building our benefits and our reputation there. So can you talk a little bit about this different generations in the workplace? Maybe if this is incorrect and we have a misconception about what's happening or if this is affecting what we're seeing today? 
One of the things that I would say is like, for me, uh, I was really kind of intrigued when you were talking about your job search and how you had difficulties at first, because that resonated with me because it felt like me. It felt like my story back in 1986, when I came out of college, you know, the economy was kind of sputtering then. And I had a lot of trouble finding that first HR job myself. For you, you were able to kind of go online and do searches that way. For me, everything was done by mail, right? If I wanted to apply for a job in Denver, Colorado, and I lived in Cincinnati, Ohio, Monday, I would go to the newspaper store, buy a copy of the Denver Post, and then search for HR jobs, right? And you were able to do that instantaneously and get immediate feedback. And so I find that even though the methods for us looking for work, that, that kind of frustration of trying to find work was, was similar. But then you, you mentioned job hopping, right? So for me in the eighties, nineties, you know, employers would say, oh, I mean, if somebody hasn't been in a job for at least five years and they're moving, we don't want to touch them. And today, you know, companies, one, they may actively be recruiting employees that have only been in a job for a little while, trying to get them to come to their company to work. Right. And two, I think you're spot on in terms of individuals to be able to make more money they're making it on those job hops. Whereas you know, if you stay with your current company that you, you, in today's economy, you might see a 5% increase or something like that. But when you hop jobs from company A to company B, that increase may be 10 or 20%. As a kind of an example, our son-in-law, he was approached by, he, he's doing IT work and interesting enough, his, his college degree was in music of all things. And he finds himself doing IT work now. So he's kind of like a self-taught IT person, which kind of goes to show a lot of organizations look for ability and then they'll train. So, so he picked up on, on IT at a company. Another company came along and said, Hey, we'd really like you to come to work for us. His current company matched part of it. So he, he got a, he got a big increase, but then three months later, another company came along and said, okay, we'll offer you 115 and he hopped. So at 26, he's, he's pulling down 115, which makes my head spin. It's incredible. Tell him, let me borrow some money, man. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. It, it's nice to, to, to know that I won't be buying this dinner too much longer into the future. So Lydia, you, you made this comment about, oh, well, companies have gone away from traditional pension plans and moved to 401k plans. And that's very true. One of the outcomes I believe of that, of companies moving there is it makes it easier for employees to move. I mean, if I knew that if I stick with my company, here's this benefit that I'll get, I'll think twice. And, and, and honestly, I'm in that boat right now. I'm, I'm looking at a benefit that if I stay with my company for 22 more months, I will get a very substantial benefit. So if I'm going to make a move tomorrow, in my mind, I'm factoring in, okay, this is the benefit that I'm going to forgo if I make the move. So for me to forgo that benefit, I'm going to need to get at least this, right? And here's the other thing that I would tell you, Lydia, here's, here's the magic. And if you and others will just follow this magic, I think you'll be okay in terms of future retirement. And that's 15. I tell my students and young, young people and anybody that'll listen to me, if you can get in the habit of putting back 15% into your Roth 401k, Roth IRA, you will be okay for retirement someday. But it's that magic 15. And that, that's what my spouse, my wife and I have done. And we are now at the point where 
weekend and, and I am personally considering, you know, it, it gives me the flexibility to consider retirement, even though I won't touch social security for at least another 12 years, I'll be okay. And so I'm afraid that for a lot of young people on the financial side, 65 is so far in your future. And you hear people say social security will never be around. I, I think social security will still be around. It'll be different. It may take you longer to receive the benefit. The benefit may be a little less, but I can't fathom our country doing away with social security entirely because we all vote and the people who are currently getting it, I don't think they're going to vote people who totally cut social security. I just can't imagine that happening. Could it? I, I suppose stranger things have happened, but mm -hmm. uh, I can't imagine us just totally going away from social security. I would say don't count on social security, count on what you put back. And then your social security is the icing on the cake. It, it helps you do those other things. Such a great conversation. I want to pause just for a second to take care of a couple of housekeeping items. First, those of you listening to this podcast who are seeking professional development credits or PDCs, this episode is valid for 0.75 PDCs for the SHRM CP or SHRM SCP. Please note that the code that I'm about to give you will expire on April 7th, 2023. And that code is 23-HJ79U. Again, that's the number two, the number three, dash, H as in hotel, J as in Juliet, the number seven, the number nine, U as in uniform. And speaking of PDCs, one place to earn several PDCs, 27 in fact, while networking with peers, connecting with mentors, and expanding your HR knowledge is at SHRM 22 this June. The SHRM Annual Conference and Expo, which has drawn more than 20,000 attendees in the past, is a can't-miss experience for any current or emerging HR professional. And it's even better for students with a curated experience featuring career-focused programming and discounted member pricing at just $425 for an in-person registration in New Orleans and $275 for virtual passes. For more information, visit sherm.co forward slash sherm22student. So jumping back into the podcast, obviously we had and perhaps we're still experiencing a global pandemic, which was followed by the Great Resignation. In your opinion, Tom, what are some of the key factors that have contributed to so many workers leaving their job and many others trying to find new employment? Wow. Are we going to do seven parts on the podcast or where, where should we go? I think right? we got that much time, man. Let's kind of walk through some of the major things that's happened, right? Number one, one of the outcomes of this labor shortage is, and, and this was happening before the pandemic employers were starting to increase wages. Before the pandemic, you saw Walmart and Targets of the world announcing $15 was where they were taking their wage rates. This is pre-pandemic. And who doesn't want more money? I mean, I still want more money. I'm certain that you all want more money. Sign me up. So, you know, workers are seeing the opportunity to move for higher comp now more than ever before. Number one. Second thing, workers don't like to stay in jobs they don't like. If I'm not liking where I'm at, I am now motivated to look for other opportunities. A big thing that's come out of this pandemic is, you know, work from home. Pre-pandemic, if an employee said, you know, I would like to work from home, the employer said, wouldn't we all? No, 
And that was the end of the discussion. Well, the pandemic taught us that we can work from home. We can be effective working from home. We can be just as productive working from home as we can from work. So now workers want that flexibility. The other thing that we saw with the pandemic was childcare. And that's still an issue where the lack of affordable childcare is still out there. The good news is schools are back in session. Schools are back in person right now. And that is starting to allow the parent that was taking on the childcare responsibilities, you know, the chance to kind of hop back into the workforce. The other thing that's happened as part of the great resignation is, believe it or not, the stock market has done really well over the last six years. And despite what the, the hiccup that we're going through right now with the global crisis in Ukraine, the, the market has done well. And so you have a lot of baby boomers that have said, I'm done. One, remember, a lot of baby boomers kept working past 65. And I think what we're seeing right now is those baby boomers who are past 65, they're now dropping out that what we would have thought they would have done back when they were 65. So that's why I say the whole baby boomer moving out that the, the book had predicted happening around 2010 got slid back to 2022. So you have the folks who are older saying, okay, we're done working. But because the market has been good to the people who are coming up on 65, they can afford to retire. I mean, to be honest with you, and then Lydia said, this is what I want you to do. Give me that 15% because right now for me at 60, I can look at retiring. Now, will I? Maybe yes, maybe no, but I have that option. And that gives me a lot of power as an employee because I can, I can choose where I want to go, right? And so that's happening. So workers are retiring and some aren't coming back. So some other parts of the great resignation, we still have health concerns vaccine hesitancies are still out there. And so over the last four years, we have tightened up on immigration and that's had an impact on the labor market. And we're still seeing the skilled worker shortage in areas. It impacted me the last week I was scheduled for a, a procedure and the doctor's office had to cancel it because they didn't have enough nurses. So this medical test I was supposed to go through had to be canceled because there are not enough nurses out there. And so we've got this skilled worker shortage, which is causing people to move because I may be a skilled worker at company A, company B is offering more money. Look at, look at drivers right now, if like truck drivers or bus drivers and the skills to do that is in short supply. But the fact that I can pick up insurance more readily today than before the Affordable Care Act gives people the opportunity to maybe work alone and, and go off on their own. I think the gig economy has had a big impact and this will kind of delve into that political side, but when people are working in the gig economy, maybe they're reporting all the money that they're earning, or maybe they're not. And then I guess, you know, one other comment, we've gone through COVID workplaces have been socially distanced, masked up, meetings have been canceled. The, the extra events that employers were doing, all that stuff dried up during COVID. And so I, I think this company culture has suffered and now we we're going to try to build that back and organizations that can build back that culture are going to be in a better position to be able to retain workers and slow down the bleed of, of people hopping from company A to go to company B, but changing culture 
talk about a, a slow process and you know making certain that your supervisory team and your management team is on board and they're doing the right things when they're short staffed is is tough no doubt about it so those are some of the reasons that i see on the great resignation if you will so you mentioned that many workers are leaving their jobs and finding new employment due to key factors like remote work more money child care options However, one study indicated that over 70% of U.S. workers who changed jobs during the Great Resignation actually regret quitting and feel a sense of buyer's remorse. Does this statistic surprise you? And what do you think are some of the reasons behind this data? Yes and no, right? I think one of the things that, that we all kind of go through at times is the old, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence perspective. And then once we get there, it might not be as green. So, so now we, now let's ask the question, why am I not happy in this new job? Well, maybe I left solely for more money. And so I I've left relationships behind from my former employer, and now I have to forge new relationships with the current employer. And does it happen? Do I build it? Does it build up? So the challenge for those new employers kind of gets into that onboarding process of what are we doing with our new people to make them feel welcome, make them feel part of the, 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 the organization, ensuring that they're being trained properly. Let me give you an example of something I've seen at a company that some of my students and I are doing a little mini consulting project at. Their workforce has grown during the pandemic, so they, their workforce is larger at their facility today than it was pre-pandemic. They say they don't have a problem hiring. They've hired over 400 people, but yet they're still, you know, 40 some odd jobs shy of having all the positions filled and they see a lot of turnover. So somebody comes on board, maybe they last a week, maybe they last two, maybe they last a month and they're churning. So why is that? What's busted in that system? And a couple of things that I, that I notice is one, what I'm hearing from some of their employees would be training and when we hire new people you know we need people that you know the, the workers would say we need people who have mechanical skills that can understand equipment and kind of get it theoretically on, on how to work on this equipment and if you're hiring somebody that that's coming out of fast food let's say and they're going to work in this factory and they don't have any mechanical aptitude at all they're probably not going to be around for very long now they may have answered all the questions, right? May have sounded like a good person, a good worker, but because they don't have that mechanical aptitude, they're struggling. Number one, number two, they're short staffed. So the people who are training them, that employee may say, Hey, my, my machine's not working right. How do I fix it? And the worker that knows how to fix it doesn't have the time to show them how to fix it because they've got their own thing to do. Now I've got to come over and help you. And so I come over, I fix it for you. I kind of look at you like you're stupid, like, here's what you do. Hey, how did you do that? Don't worry about it. And so now that person that that's new to the company, they're not necessarily getting the training they need. They're not necessarily developing relationships with their coworkers. And they're like, I'll go find another job and they move on. And so they, they see this fast turnover. So there's multiple problems in their, in their process there. One is, are they hiring the right people? Meaning should they be hiring people who are more mechanically inclined at that don't mind working on their own, but are willing to kind of figure out things before they ask for help. So, so who are they hiring? 
two, working with the, the current staff, they need to be kind of make sure that they're putting the right person involved in the place to do the training. Because if you don't, that's creating your problem of people turning. So there's, there's a lot of pieces in there. So yeah, I would agree with your statement that do people have buyer's remorse or regret that they've moved? The stat doesn't surprise me, but those are some of the things that I think is causing that. And so maybe one of the things to slow that down is when you're bringing somebody new on board, what are we going to do on the onboarding to bring them in and make them feel welcomed and to ensure that we don't lose them quickly? So those would be a couple of things there. I really appreciate that response, Tom. And I, I cannot agree with you more on how important relationships in the workplace are. I absolutely love working with the team that I work with. And that's like my foundation team and folks like Ledia, who I sit close to up in the office. It makes all the difference in the world. I guess how, how excited you are to come to work and accomplish the tasks that you do. So this, this including this podcast, is kind of like fun to me because I'm, I'm doing it with somebody who I really enjoy spending time with. And so you're right. Uh, your relationships at work make a, a ton of difference in, in terms of your overall satisfaction and probably retention uh, to the employer. Something you just started touching on towards the end of your answer, which I think matters quite a bit, and I want to go into a little bit of the background. My first part of my question is, from an employer company side of things, why does turnover matter? And then the second part of that, because you started talking a little bit about orientation or onboarding, what can organizations and HR employees do in order to minimize the amount of turnovers in their companies? One of the first things that companies need to do a better job of is understanding the true cost of turnover. Example, if you have a company where if I hire somebody to come in and do a job, I'm able to train that person and get them up to speed within a matter of weeks, and they are going to be as effective as a person that's been there for three years. There's not a big difference in if you lose somebody, if you lose a person that's been there a year, two years, six months, the cost is relatively the same. Now, let's say that this job takes a while to get under your belt. And maybe it takes six months, eight months, nine months before you are a hundred percent proficient at it. But let's also say that this is a job where we can clearly see the productivity differences, the output differences between employees. So employee A is a superstar. And so they're really making us money and doing a great job. Employee B is really good at what they do. And so they're also making us money. Employee C is okay. They're making us money, but it's not great. So if we lost employee A, we're going to take nine months to get the new person up to speed, but we're also missing out on this high performer productivity results that is so much better than employee C. So do we understand the cost of turnover? Because if we understand what that cost is, then we know what do we have to spend to be able to, to improve that. So if your turnover cost is, if, if you factor it out and say, well, it's costing us a million dollars, this turnover. I, I worked with a company that said, you know, they, they were in the transportation industry. They were short 4,000 drivers, let's say. They knew that their inability to fill those driver roles was losing them X amount of dollars. And so they were able to then kind of factor in, okay, here's what the slack is costing us. What do we need to spend so that we can improve the numbers, right? And so we, we have to do a better job understanding our costs. Now, the other thing that I would say is 
when we're hiring people, if we could better predict who our superstars are going to be, shouldn't we go out and look for more superstars? But employers just kind of, okay, we got to hire. And so they go through that hiring process. So I, I think that's something that we need to do a better job of. And, you know, one of the things that I would say to, to my students and young professionals that will help you become more effective in your role in HR is when you're able to articulate, here is my idea, here's the problem I'm going to solve, and this is the dollar value that this solving this problem is going to bring to the party, you're more likely to get business, your leadership team to say, then let, let, let's put that plan into place. That makes sense to spend that money because it's going to save us this. But we can't just come with ideas and say, well, it, I think it'll work really well. Leadership wants to know what's it saving me? What's it going to do? How's this improving me? How's this going to make us better? So that, that would be a couple of things I would throw out in there in terms of how do we minimize the turnover and how do we get better? Great. Well, thank you for that insight. You know, I like to think of every challenge as an opportunity. So the challenges that are facing our students and emerging professionals right now is the labor shortage or the great resignation. How can we, students, emerging professionals, maximize these opportunities provided from a labor shortage? And can you also break down how this would look different for a student that's just fresh out of college and how it might look different for somebody who's been in the industry for a couple of years? Let me kind of go back a couple steps on that. One of the things that I try to do with my students is number one, I, I stress, you know, getting an internship, having some type of opportunity where you're able to, to work alongside an HR leader someplace. And the, the beauty right now is there are a lot of companies out there looking for internships. That that's one piece. The second thing that, that we do is we pair our students with mentors. So every semester we will find you know, our students that want to be involved in the process, a new HR mentor. And so each semester I, I'm making 40 to 50 plus pairings between students and HR mentors. And those relationships in turn help the student better understand the HR profession. It helps the student see opportunities. It helps the students see people who are doing things that they may like to do. And it opens the door to those internships and job opportunities. So even for the young professional, it's finding those more seasoned people that are willing to spend time with them. And, and the, the cool thing that I'm seeing that's kind of spinning out of, out of our mentor program at the University of Cincinnati is the relationships are now going past graduation. And where it's really cool is where I see my graduates, my alumni still talking to their mentors and meeting them and talking to them. And, and, and what wise mentors are doing is they're scouting talent for their HR teams. And even though Tabitha may be working for company X, she still has a relationship with that mentor at company Y. And maybe sometime in the future, that company Y HR person is going to say, Hey, Tabitha, we've got this opening. Can we talk to you? And opportunities are there. That's one of the things I think that, and then again, COVID's really thrown a, a wrench in these plans where being able to have these relationships and do these things, which is, you know, why I'm like Vernon, I'm so excited to being able to be back at the conference live 
with my students and with the other professionals there where we're able to mix and, and, and meet people and see those relationships kind of come out of that. But, you know, that would be another piece is like, what are you doing to, to get out there? And then one other thing that I would throw out there for the young professionals is looking at certification and getting that under your belt sooner rather than later. You know, SHRM has recently changed the eligibility requirement standards. So now as a recent graduate, you're able to sit for that CP exam. And so making certain that you're taking advantage of study courses or study groups and preparing for that exam is critical and, and students can pass it. I'm pleased to report that we did a study group with five of my students last fall. Three of them went ahead and tested in the December, February window and all three passed. Can't tell you how good that makes me feel when I see my recent graduates getting that under their belt early in their career. So those will be just a couple of things that as a, a young professional mentorships, relationships, and, uh, your HR certification. So there's that word again, right? Relationships and the importance of building strong relationships and, and really networking. So I I'm right there with you, Tom. And thank you so much, Tom, for, for taking the time to share your thoughts around the current labor shortage and how students and emerging professionals can really excel in the job market. We really appreciate it. My pleasure to be here. And I hope to see you in person down in New Orleans and hopefully we'll see some other people out there coming down. You know, one other thing I would throw your way is connect with me on LinkedIn. I've got a group that I call Tom alumni on LinkedIn, where I post job opportunities. And so if people who are out there looking for job opportunities, or you want to go there, I'm more than happy to share the wealth and the, and the, the opportunities. And so connect with me on LinkedIn so I can help you on your journey. And with that, we're going to bring this episode of Career Compass to a close. We'd like to thank SHRM and the SHRM Foundation for providing us with this platform. But more importantly, we'd like to thank you all for joining us and hope you stay with us throughout the season as we discuss more topics like this episode. For more exclusive content, resources, and tools to help you succeed in your career, consider joining SHRM as a student member. You can visit us at SHRM.org forward slash students to learn more about being a part of a community of over 300,000 HR and business leaders who impact the lives of over 115 million employees worldwide. If you liked what you heard, follow and subscribe to Career Compass on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And do you have a topic you think we should cover or a guest we should hear from? We'd love to hear it. Email us at careercompasspodcast at sherm.org. Lastly, if you are looking for more work and career-related podcasts, check out All Things Work and Honest HR at sherm.org forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Career Compass.